my wife and I became parents in 2007. Um, in January 2007, my daughter was born. And uh, I'll be honest with you, we had no idea what we were doing. I know people who teach and whatever, they like to say, well, we had a plan. I mean, we were clueless. Uh, you know, I mean, if you've never heard me tell, tell the story when um, they were like wheeling my wife into the room where she was going to give birth. Um, they, some, we had a couple of friends who were there and they're like, well, this is it, Bob. You're going to become a dad. How do you feel? And I said, I feel like vomiting. Uh, it was, uh, that was, that was, that's, 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 that's really how I feel. And, um, and, and I was so nervous. I was so nervous becoming a dad because I, you know, I, I was wondering like, am I responsible enough for this? And I consider myself a fairly responsible person, but like, I just kept thinking as a kid, I used to, I would always lose my star Wars action figures. And these kids, when they're born, they're only like slightly bigger than action figures. And I thought, man, and they don't come with a carrying case. And I, I thought, man, this is going to be an issue. And, and I remember we brought Mia home. And, uh, you know, they put that security bracelet on, on her, on her uh, wrist and on her ankle. Well, they took the one off of her wrist, but they left the one on her ankle. And so I was holding Mia. And then my wife had the scissors. And I'm like, be careful, don't pinch her. Be careful, don't cut her. You know, and it was, we're, so, we're freaking out. And so we're being so careful to not, you know, so we didn't not pinch her, not get a touch her skin or whatever with this metal. Or so, And we're so careful that we actually pinched her with the back, like the handle of the uh, of, of the scissors, and, and she started crying, and I'm like, are we ready for this? You know, and I'm freaking out. And um, now, thankfully, my daughter is almost four and a half now, and uh, my son is going to be two in July. And, uh, and honestly, being a dad has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. But I don't know if you've found this, if you're a dad or you're a mom, there are these, um, th- there are times when you just realize that your kids don't understand what it is that you're trying to do. Like they're asking you for something and you're telling them no or you're redirecting them to something else. And then they're being persistent and saying, but I, this is what I want. And you're like, but no, you're actually going to get this instead. And they're frustrated and you're frustrated and there's this thing. And it's like they, 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 don't, they don't realize that there's a reason behind the no, right? And it, there's, there, there's something. I'm, I'm trying to explain this to you because it's going to be better for you. But they, they don't really understand that. I believe in the same way that's very true in our relationship with God. Um, and one of the biggest revelations that I've had uh, since becoming a dad, and it's totally revolutionized my relationship with God, is to realize this one simple idea, and that is that God is parenting me. Uh, man, that has just totally changed everything in my life, and that's what I really want to spend our time drilling down on, is talking about this idea that God is parenting you, and as God is parenting me. Because sometimes we'll, we'll be praying or sometimes we'll be going through a difficult time. We'll just say, oh, God, I just need you to work in this situation. God, I need you to, to show up here. God, I need you to speak to me. God, I need you to show me what you want me to do. And sometimes there'll be seemingly like silence. Or sometimes God is showing us something. Well, God, that's not what I want. I really want this. And God's saying, but I'm going to give you that. But I really want this. But he's, going to, he's saying, but I'm going to give you that. And, and we get, become very frustrated. And really, um, it's like, well, God, do you even care? And it's like, well, and it's, it's, it's the idea is that God actually cares more than we could possibly realize. But the issue is that God is parenting us. And this is the heart that we need to have as we approach Romans chapter 2. So if you would, if you have a Bible, please open it to Romans 2. Because we started a new series two weeks ago that's called Inside Out. And the idea is this, is that transformation has to start somewhere. And the the, the place where God wants to transform us is from the inside. A lot of times we want to make these external modifications of our lives, but they don't actually translate into permanent change. And that's because it's all external. If When transformation happens internally, it actually begins to work its way out in our lives. And so if our heart will change, then our actions will change as well. 
And so God's desire is to transform us and make us more like Jesus. And what we're going to do in, in the time that we have together is we're going to look at the four ways that God is parenting us. Not only the four ways that God is parenting us, but the four ways that God's parenting us in such a way so that we can become the people that he wants us to become. So if you've ever um, been in a place where you've prayed and said, God, do you just even see what's happening here? If you've ever prayed, God, do you even hear me? If you've ever prayed, God, I need you to show up in my life and I need you to show up big time, then you're in the right place. Because that's what we're going to talk about. And if you've ever wondered what God is doing in your life, listen, we're going to talk about what he's doing in your life. Because what it all comes down to in your life and in mine is that God is parenting us. We're going to look at chapter 2 of Romans, starting in verse 1. Here's what we'll read. It says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are to judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. But do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And if you pause there and give me your attention, if you have the notes that we gave you, this is a great time to grab them. Because the first thing that I want to share with you is this, uh, is how God is parenting us. And it's, it's this, number one, is that God's kindness leads us to change. God's kindness leads us to change, not anything else. Let me explain it this way. Um, the other day, I picked my daughter up from school. It was about two weeks ago. I picked my daughter up from school and, uh, and she said, Bobby, can I come back to the office with you? And I said, sure. So we drove back to my office, and, um, and so I, she spent the rest of the day there with me. And then we were driving home, and I realized I needed to fill up my car with gas. I was running out of gas, and so I filled up. And then I thought, you know, I really should get the car washed because, well, how do I say this nicely? Um, some birds mistook my car for a restroom. Maybe that's a nice way to say it. Um, and so I said, well, I need to... So, you know, then I, you know, would you like the car wash that's $80, 90 You know, it's like, you know, they charge like an exorbitant amount of money, but my car was like filthy dirty. I'm like, all right, I'll take the, the cheap little express one. So I get that, and then, I, you know, you get the little code, and then you go around to like the drive through kind of looking thing. So I punch in the numbers, and then we're, um, and then it says, okay, please proceed. There was another car in there, and it was on its way out. I'm proceeding in, but then the car in front of me that's walk, that, that's leaving, it puts the it, it puts it goes into reverse and starts reversing because it wants to get like ten extra seconds of the little dryer hitting its trunk. And I saw the dude's car. Listen, nothing's going to help, um, you know, except maybe like a flamethrower. But anyway, I didn't say that to him because I'm a Christian. I'm not really allowed to say stuff like that. I just I think it, but I don't say it. Um, so then what happens is is that, but when. The, the, I guess there's a sensor or something. It notices that I'm going in and this other guy is backing in. And so the whole system shuts down. Then the guy leaves with a drier car and I'm going back and forth and I'm so mad. And Mia's like, Bobby, it's okay. Let's just go. Let's just go home. Let's just go. And I'm like, I cannot believe that guy. And so I have to go around. I get me out of the car. I go inside. I tell the lady the whole story and she gives me a refund. And, um, and then um, Mia says to me, she says, Papi, she can obviously tell I'm very frustrated. And she says, Papi, why did that mean guy do that? And I said, Mia, because he's not very smart. And, um, and, and she said, um, oh, I forgot to tell you this part. Um, when Mia was at the office with me, um, 
she, uh, I, I have a, I have a bunch of bookshelves in my office, and so one of the, on my bookshelf, I have this little, like, dagger that's about this big, and uh, the dagger, she saw it, and she's like, Bobby, what's that? Now, a friend of mine who lives in the Middle East and lives in a specific country in the Middle East that cannot be named for security reasons, um, seriously, um, he has, he gave me, he, when he came home, he gave me this dagger, and the dagger is actually used in this country, it's, it's like a, it, 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 it's almost like an accessory, all men carry one of these. And so when he came back, you know, he said, hey, I, got, I, I wanted to get you one of these. So I just keep it in my, uh, in my office on my bookshelf. And um, so Mia saw it. She's like, Bobby, what's this? And so I took it out. And it was like this dagger. She's like, whoa, Bobby, that's an awesome sword. And I'm like, yes, it is. And I'm like, I keep it there just in case I need to use it. So anyway, um, we're driving home. We go through this whole thing with this guy. And she's like, why is the guy so mean? And I say, because he's not that smart. And then she says, um, Papi, do we need to go home and get the sword so you can fight him? And, um, and I had this moment where I'm, I actually did contemplate it. Like, maybe I do need that thing. And, uh, but I had this like moment. That I'm like, I, I need to parent here. And I said, um, well, no, Mia, let's not do that. And, um, let's not stab him with the sword. Uh, we should pray for him. And then Mia says, well, why don't we pray for him right now? And I'm like, yeah, because that's exactly what I want to do. And uh, so I said, all right, let's pray. And I said, like, God, um, please help that guy who's not that smart be smarter. And I pray that he comes to know you because based on his driving, it's obviously he doesn't know Jesus. And um, and Jesus name. Amen. And then Mia says after she says, Bobby, can I pray too?" And I said, sure, sweetheart. And she goes, and God, I pray that you change my heart, too. And then, in Jesus' name, amen. And I'm like, that's what I did. I was like, oh, you little sweetheart. And I'm like, if I wasn't in four lanes of traffic, I'd just go back there and give you a big hug, you know. And I might still do it anyway, you know. And, um, and I'm telling you, it was, it was awesome. And it was this beautiful moment in the car with my daughter as she learned that prayer is better than stabbing people with a decorative sword. Um, it was this, it, it's, a, it's, it's something that every parent passes on to their children. And um, now... The, the, this, I thought like, wow, we've, I've really sh- showed her something, you know. The next day, she's in the car with her mom and, uh, and, and, and her brother. And um, my wife is driving down I-75. And somebody cuts my wife off pretty, like, pretty se- severely. And so my wife goes, ah! And just like, you know, as she's turning, getting out of the way, somebody's almost hitting her. And because uh, that's kind of what life is like in Miami. It's kind of like a Mad Max movie. Um, and so, you know, it's like beyond Thunderdome. Uh, and, and so anyway, that's first movie reference of the day. And um, and so um, and so she, she yells like that, you know, like, ah, and, and then Mia says, Mommy, are you OK? And she says, yeah, that guy just cut me off. And she says, Mommy, do we need to call Poppy so we can get his sword and kill that guy? And, and she's like, well, no, let's not call him. So anyway, the, the point is, is that we're still working on it. And uh, so she's intent. She's intent on not using that sword on someone. And uh, now I say this. I say all of this because Paul opens this passage in Romans 2. And he says this, that you are inexcusable. And the reason that he says you're inexcusable is, is, is this. He, he begins, I want you to notice how he bookends these first few verses. He starts talking about the judgment of God, and then he ends talking about the kindness and goodness of God. And the reason that he does that is because 
in Romans chapter 1, which if you were here last week, you know, Pastor John gave a fantastic message on the second half of Romans chapter 1 and talked about this idea of God's judgment and what it is that brings God's judgment into a person's life. But what happens in Romans 2 is what Paul understands is that there would be those standing on the sidelines going, yeah, God really should judge those people. I mean, those people should really, you know, and it's always like those people, whoever those people are. It's not us people, it's them. And, uh, and then Paul says, oh, by the way, here's, here's the deal. Um, instead of thinking those people, because, that God should judge them, do you do the same things? Huh? Because what he, what he says essentially is, is this. It's like a lot of times we'll look on at other people and say, well, God should, should really judge them. And, 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 and the idea, those people that don't know God, God should judge them. And here's the idea. The thing that Paul is essentially saying is, yeah, but there was a time that you didn't know God. And was it God's wrath that brought you to him? Or was it God's goodness that brought you to the place of repentance? Oh, well, it was God's goodness for me, but I think judgment would go well for them. And, uh, and he says, no, 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 here's, here's the thing. Now, repentance is a word that, like, you know, people say, oh, we've got to repent. And it's, it's almost like this religious term that, that, that gets a really negative rap, when really repentance is a very beautiful word. Repentance, uh, the word we translate repentance is, is the Greek word metanoia, which um, um, metanoia is, is, a, is a word that literally means, in the Greek language, it means to change your mind. It's like you have, have a certain way of thinking, but then you get confronted with information, circumstance, something that causes you to say, you know what, I need to repent of what I've been thinking, what I've been doing. So what I, I, I just I change my thinking. And when I change my thinking, it changes the course of action and it changes the trajectory of my life. And so and the idea is, is that if I'm on the wrong track, God will use the tools at his disposal to see us come to our senses and make a U-turn and get where it is that we need to be. And that's why Paul ties the idea of chapter one with this whole point of chapter two. And that's why chapter two opens when he says, therefore, you're inexcusable because he says, well, those people are without excuse. That's how he ends chapter one. And he says, oh, by the way, so are we, because um, instead of saying, well, you should judge them. uh, Paul says and God, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is essentially saying to us, yeah, but do you do the same things? Now, some would object because they say this. Um, they'd say, well, do you know what Paul talks about at the end of chapter one? He talks about people who murder and are involved in orgies and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I, I've never killed anyone and I've passed up on every orgy opportunity I've had. I stay away from that stuff. And some of you are like, Pastor Bob, it's Mother's Day. Could you please not talk about orgies? And uh, I promise that's my last reference. Um, and, uh, and, and, and here's the thing. But here's the thing that, 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 that Paul says is this. He says um, that what Jesus did is that he took the law of God, like let's say the Ten Commandments. He took the Ten Commandments that were external laws, seemingly, but he took it and he internalized it. He internalized it. What do you mean? Um, Let me read you a passage. I gave you a different passage uh, for your notes, but I want to read you a passage out of Matthew chapter 5. He says this. He says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. What is this term? I mean, this term Raka seems like a serious thing. Raka in in Greek essentially means this. It means emptiness. So when you in that culture, if you were to say 
raka to someone, it, were, it was essentially saying this. You were making a determination about that person that they were worthless. You were saying that they had absolutely no value as a human being. And so Jesus now makes the connection. You don't murder people. That's the Ten Commandments. But here's the internal, the internal commandment. Do you have hate? Are, do, you, do you feel such disdain for a person that you would even say to them that they have no worth or value whatsoever? And he says, that is essentially the same as killing someone. And he says, so, yeah, but see, I've never murdered anyone. Yeah, but have you, have you ever had that, that thought? Because that's where it begins. And that's where, um, where Jesus says that, the, listen, the Ten Commandments are not simply externals. They're internal attitudes that eventually find their way out. And see, what, what Paul wants us to remember in this is when we start thinking about, well, they should judge them, and what's that? Is he says, listen, what drew you to God was his kindness, was his goodness. When you heard the gospel, you didn't hear about judgment and wrath and death and destruction. Instead, here's what you heard. You heard about a Savior who willingly gave himself out of love, out of sacrifice, and that we could experience life and peace and mercy and forgiveness and grace and love. Listen, um, those of you who know the scriptures a little bit, you know the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. That he takes his inheritance and he goes out and starts living a very wild life. But if you remember, it says that he blew all of his money. And he has to take a job feeding pigs. Which, by the way, in a Hebrew society was not a kosher job. And he takes this... And it says that as he's feeding the pigs, he's so hungry that he looks at the pods that he's giving to the pigs and he starts thinking about eating them. But you know what's interesting? It says this, that he came to his senses. And you know what he remembered? His father's goodness. His father's kindness. Because he says this, he says, even my father's servants live better than this. Isn't that interesting? I'm a son and I'm this, but even the servants, even the hired hands that work for my dad are, are, are living better than this. And, and he didn't think, if I, you know, if I come home, I'm going to experience wrath and judgment and all this. No, no, no. Here's what he said. He said, I could come home and I could at least be like one of the servants. And you know what he found when he came home? A father who was running towards him, wrapped his arm around him, put the ring on him, put a robe on him and threw a party for him because the dad said, my son who was dead is now alive. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to change. You see, that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 22, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, he will not depart from it. You see, parents, the thing that we have to really um, think through and consider is are we teaching our kids that God is kind? Are we teaching our kids that God is love? A lot of times, here's what we do as parents, if we're being real honest, we treat God like a supersized boogeyman. And we say, well, if you do that, you know, God's going to get you. And then we wonder why people have a very twisted view of who God is. But let me ask you this, and maybe this hits a little closer to home. Um, do we believe that God is kind? Do we believe that God is good? Well, I know that God loves me. Yeah, but a lot of times people think that, well, God loves me because he has to. Like it's written in his contract or something. That he's got to love everybody. And, but but here's, here's the thing. Even when God disciplines us, it's out of love. Because God loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. Because the goal of uh, God's goal in our lives is repentance does not go the way that we would go, but to go the way that he wants us to go so that we could live life and life to the full.
And that's why God's desire is to turn us, from, turn us away from anything that would lead us away from him. Because that's what the goal, what our goal as parents needs to be. That's how God is parenting us, showing us how kind he is. That's our goal as parents is teaching our kids to walk with God by showing them how kind he is. He goes on in verse 5, and here's what he says. He says this. He says, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, on the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that I want to share with you. We talk about God, um, God parenting us. The second thing is this, is that God's discipline leads to blessing. God's discipline leads to blessing. Now, I say the word discipline, sometimes you get the wrong idea. You get the idea that I used to have. Um, I grew up in a Cuban home. I've told you this in the past. That means that my family is completely insane. Um, But uh, most of my memories of discipline as a kid was being regularly hit with a chancleta. Um, And I will tell you this. If... If throwing a chancleta was an Olympic sport, my mom would have won several gold medals. Because my mom could hit me in the head from 50 feet away with a chancleta. It's incredible. And if you're not aware, you don't speak Spanish, a chancleta is kind of like a sandal, except it it, it contains different properties. Um, It's like a sandal slash boomerang. Because my mom, I I could do something or say something, and my mom could just go... Throw that thing, hit me in the back of the head, and that thing would come spinning back to her. I mean, she was like the Clint Eastwood of chancletazos. And um, it's incredible to me. And um, that's probably why, I, to this day, I don't wear sandals. Um, I'm just, I fear that I'm going to get hurt by them somehow. Um, so when, I, when, you, when, when you think of discipline... You may think of something like that, but I, but, but I want to tell you that's not what the Bible is talking about when it comes to discipline. Now, that, that may be a form of discipline, but I think in, in, in many respects, um, what, what, com- what is, oh, well, I'm disciplining them, is really just something that comes out of anger and not out of instruction. Discipline in, in a Jewish world, in, in the world of the Bible, and what the Bible talks about, discipline is the Hebrew word musar, M-U-S-A-R, and here's what the word musar means. It means to teach to train or to coach. That's what discipline is. So when someone, when a parent says, oh, well, I, I got so angry and then I, quote unquote, disciplined them. Oh, you didn't discipline them. Oh, you may have spanked them or hit them or done whatever, but you didn't teach them anything. Because you can't be angry and, and teach your kids at the same time. It, it, it doesn't work. Now, you can be angry, but just you're going to have to cool it down and, 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 until you can... Um, until you can actually create a teachable moment for your kids. Now, here's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, think about it. Just as parents discipline a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. Listen, all kids, you and I included, all kids are born unwise. 
Do you know why? Because all kids are born completely self-absorbed, completely selfish. They think the world is about them. And they find out that that's not the case one way or the other. And so the same thing happens with us. God disciplines us the same, for the same reason that we discipline our kids is because we want our kids to be functioning members of society. We want them to do well. Essentially, here's what we're saying. I want my child, my children, I want them to be blessed. And so we, we use discipline, training, teaching, coaching. That's what we do with our kids. Why? Because we know that we cannot bless bad behavior. Instead, we want them to do the right behavior so we can bless them. Do you know that God really does want to bless you? And God uses discipline so that we'll do the right thing so that he can bless good behavior. Because he won't bless bad behavior. The same way as a parent, you won't bless bad behavior either. Because you know that blessing bad behavior only perpetuates bad behavior. And that's why in verse 6, here's what, here's what he says. He says that God is, uh, will he'll render to everyone according to their deeds. Because here's sometimes what we think. Many times we think that God is judging us, right? When in reality, all that we're experiencing is the natural consequences of our own actions. Let me read you this passage. It's in your notes in Jeremiah chapter 2. It says, Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God. Of hosts, You see, did you catch that? Your own wickedness will, will rebuke you. Um, your own backslidings will correct you. Um, this is kind of, this is essentially what, it, what Jeremiah says in these verses. Um, it's like after the service, you get your picture taken with your family and you say, you know what? I think I'm going to go to Target and rob the place. Um, and, and then you go in there and you get like a squirt gun or something and you hold the place up and then you don't realize there's like 10 cops in there. They tackle you. They put the cuffs on you. And as you're walking out the door, you come to your senses and you say, oh, God, forgive me for what I've done. Now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And you can walk out of that place if you really repent, if you really ask for God's forgiveness. You can walk away from that situation a forgiven person. But you're still going to jail. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you're still going to jail because it's not, it's not going to stop the natural consequences of our actions. We say, I can't believe God is judging me. Oh, no. It's not God. It's, the, it's your own backslidings that rebuke you. It's, uh, what do you say? It's your own wickedness that will correct you. And so it's like, well, I'm never going to do that again. Why? Because it's the, it's the natural consequences of our actions that have taught us something. And that's why in relationships, when we don't do relationships God's way and they always go bad, we say, well, what happens? I can't believe that God, uh, you know, just won't bring someone into my life. What, what, what happens? You know, the right person. Well, you've got to do it his way. Well, man, I, I just, I, you know, I, I can't believe I got fired from my job. Well, what happened? Well, I just didn't show up that much. Well, it's, I can't believe God is doing this to me. Well, maybe it wasn't God doing that to you. Did your alarm clock go off? Yeah, what happened? Well, this thing called snooze. Um, and, and well, th- th- then what happened? It's not God. It's God allowing the natural consequences of our actions to, to, to be the thing that teaches us. And the point that God makes is because there were some that were in that time that were saying, but don't you understand that I come from a Jewish background? I'm a Christian, but I come from a Jewish background. I should be blessed no matter what I do. And, and here's, what God, here's what Paul writes. He says, yeah, there's no partiality with God. God's not playing favorites. And sometimes here's what happens is that we won't do the right thing and say, but you know, but I'm a Christian. I can't understand how these things are happening. And here's what God's saying. 
God's not playing favorites. If you do the wrong thing, chances are the, the, the consequences of that are going to come out. That's, that's just the way it goes. Well, he goes on a little bit further because he knows that this is going to be a bit of a sticking point with his readers. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who have, who do not have the law by nature do the things that are in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And check out verse 17. He says, Indeed, you are called the Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say you should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? For the name of, the, of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here, here's the third point, and that's this is that God's instruction leads us to wisdom. It's his instruction. It's, it's heeding his instruction that leads us to wisdom. The other night I got home, and uh, my daughter decided that the, she would only speak to us in Spanish. Um, the only problem is my daughter doesn't speak Spanish. Um, she knows, like, a few words, but she was just repeating those few words in any order. And it was, uh, uh, you know, and uh, it, was, it was like this. She got home, and she goes, Lista, basura, agua, fajitas. And, and I'm like... And it didn't matter. I'm like, what, what do you want? Do you want to eat? We're going to have dinner. Ah, lista, basura, fajitas, agua. And so, and, and, Mia, it's time, to, it's time to, 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 to have a bath. Okay, lista, basura, fajitas, agua. And so she's doing this, right? And then she would start talking just in j- more gibberish. She was, ah, blah, 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 agua, fajitas, blah, 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 and just kind of doing this whole thing. And then she would say, like, do these parenthetical things, and she'd go, papi, I'm only speaking Spanish. And then, um, and so then we'd... Um, and then I would, so then I decided to start talking to her in Spanish. And she says, Papi, don't do that. I'm only speaking in Spanish. And it's like, yeah, we don't really get this, do we? And um, now here's the point. She doesn't know much Spanish. But once again, nobody's going to come to her and like judge her based on what she doesn't know. Instead, what happens is we make evaluations based on what people do know. The point that Paul says is, is that those who don't have the law are not going to be judged according to every jot and tittle that's in the law. But what he, instead, what he says is this, is that those who do are, are going to be judged according to the revelation that they've received. Now, one of the questions that people always come up with is, well, what about those people who have never heard the gospel? I mean, what, we, what about those guys? What's going to happen to them? And here's, and here's what, we, what we understand, is that every person is going to experience the evaluation of God based on what they've, what they've received. And so, but every person has two things. Every person has creation. To tell you that there's a God, because the Bible says this in, in the Psalms, is the heavens declare the glory of God, right? And then everyone has conscience, that every person 
has, has been born with the understanding and ability to know what's right or wrong. And, and yet, now, can a person sear their conscience? Absolutely. Can a person sin to the point where it, the lines blur as to what they believe right or wrong to be? But see, it's amazing, and it's, those of us that are parents, we understand. Kids know what's, what right or wrong is. That's why when they, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, my son, there, there's certain things he's not, he's not allowed to touch, right? He's not allowed to touch an outlet. That's like one of the rules in our house. No outlets equals no electrocution, right? That's like one of our, we have it framed on the wall. No, we just, we say no, no outlets. But you know what he does? He just gets close to it. Then he'll put his hand on the wall. And then he'll just like rub the top cover with it. And I'm like, you little sinner, you know, get away from there. And, uh, and, and this whole, and this whole thing, it's like, he knows, right? He knows he he it's just he intuitively understands that that's the wrong thing, but he just he just inches his way towards it. And in the same way, it's like, well, you know, you've got these everybody wants to know. But what about the pygmy in Africa who have never heard the gospel? Everybody's worried about the pygmy in Africa and less worried about the pagan in their living room. Um, and, and now now here's the question. God's going to figure that out. How about this? What are we doing with what we already know? Hmm. Well, because here's what, what happens many times. We've been exposed to a lot. You come here, you hear, the, you hear the word of God taught to you every week. And you know, the truth is for most of us, that we are educated way beyond our level of obedience. And, and so what we need to be instead worried about is those of us who have received, have been blessed with an incredible amount of revelation from God. What are we doing with that? How is it prompting us to live? You see, that's why... He asks us these questions and he presses us and he says, teachers, um, do you teach yourself? Right. You say, don't steal. But are you stealing? Um, and, and these are questions of self-evaluation. And, and the, the way that God parents us is that, listen, he gives us the instruction so that we will be wise, not so that we'll just know more stuff, but instead so that we will actually do the right thing. And what happens to us many times is that we think the rules don't apply to us. Like, oh, I want to know more, but then I don't want to actually put that stuff into action. And, and we suffer from what I like to call the my buddy delusion. Now, um, the, here, here's, if you remember my buddy, uh, this is my buddy, um, right? You remember my buddy? My buddy and me like to climb up a tree. My buddy and me were the best friends it could be. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me, right? Brought to you by Play School. Right? That, that's, that's my buddy and my buddies hang out with you and all that. Now, I will say this, if I can just sidebar for a second. Um, look at what my buddy's wearing. Look at what this guy's wearing. Um, it's like almost the same thing, right? It, to me, it's like my buddy and Chucky were friends in high school until Chucky started dropping acid. And then he, uh, and then my buddy was like, dude, I can't hang out with you anymore. And, uh, and then, you know, Chucky became addicted. And that's kind of like, you know, anyway, we can get rid of him now. Um, that really has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I just, I like to talk about Chucky dropping acid because I wrote that last night and I said, that's really hilarious. And, uh, <laughs> cause sometimes, uh, I, sometimes I, I do make myself laugh and, uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. Sometimes we'll have this thing where we'll be like, you know, God, there's stuff that God wants us to do, but then we'll think, well, you know, that doesn't really apply to me. Because my situation is different. 
And God knows my situation because God's my buddy and Jesus is my homeboy and the Holy Spirit's part of my posse. And, uh, and, and that's kind of what, what I do. And, and I, I don't have to obey God because, check it out, get ready for it, quote unquote, God knows my heart. Right? God knows my heart. So I don't have to obey because God knows my heart. Oh. Well, I, why didn't you say that earlier? That changes everything. You see, when I started college, I didn't really care that much about going to college. My goal in life was to become a rock star by the time I was 20, um, and I was well on my way there. Um, but I was, I was 18. I, I figured, ah, you know, I've got nothing really going on during the day. I may as well go to college. Um, and, and so I started college. I had a, um, a golf class at 11. By the way, because I was just shooting for the stars. Uh, I had a golf class at 11 a.m., Tuesday and Thursday, 11 to noon. And, um, and I actually talked to the teacher one day, and I got there, and I'm like, listen, dude, um, can we change the time of this class? And he's like, what? And I didn't really know how things worked back then. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, if we could change this class to like a little after lunch, maybe like 1.30, I could get here like 75% of the time. But this 11 a.m. is just killing me. I can only imagine how the rest of these people feel. Um, and, and, and I said, I, I, anyway, he dropped me from the class. Um, so, <laughs> so much for that line of reasoning. Um, and now, now here's the thing. When I met my wife, my wife is like a straight A student and, you know, scholarships and all of that. And, um, and, and, and so, and she asked me, um, now if you don't know, uh, I, I, I've told this in the past, I was on what was called the five year plan in high school. Um, uh, like most people graduate in four years. I went an extra year just to make sure I really picked up all of it. Um, and uh, when I talk about being a senior, I'm like, man, being a senior was the best two years of my life. Um, and so now here's what happens. I met my wife and I had just finished my fifth year of high school. And then I had taken six months off and I was getting ready to start college. And she's like, you know, she's telling me how much she loves school and she had a scholarship and all this. And she's like, do you like school? And I'm like, whoa, that's so weird. Because I love school. I love school so much, I go more than anyone else that I know. That's so weird. And uh, now, you would say, Bob, you're a liar. And I'd say, no, 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 no. God knows my heart. In my heart, I love school. I just don't go to class, do any of the work, or pay attention. But other than that, I love it. I love it. Now you'd say, no, 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 but if you really loved it, you'd be there. Ah, and therein lies the problem. He can't say God knows my heart and not actually do the things that God is saying to do. We, if, see, if we just know what's right and we don't do it, um, it says that we just, we're, oh, God, these aren't your commands. These are more like suggestions for me. But re- when the reality is, the reality is, is that if we really take his instruction and do it, here's what it leads to. It leads to wisdom. Because he gives us the instruction for the purpose of making us wise. Now, here's the last thing. This is the verse 25. Um, and for, I know this is kind of weird on Mother's Day, but just let's get through it and then it'll make sense. All right. Um, for circumcision. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore. Uh, If an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? 
And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who was one outwardly, nor circumcision that which is outwardly in, outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now, if you pause there and, and give me your attention, here's the last thing. The, the last thing is this, is that God's praise leads us to relationship. God's praise leads us to relationship. Now, I, I recognize, it's like, Bob, you've really talked about some weird stuff on Mother's Day. I know, and forgive me, but this is all going to make sense in a moment. Um, what you have to understand about circumcision in a Jewish culture is that circumcision literally equaled a relationship with God. didn't matter what you did. As long as you went through this rite, this passage, this ritual, it equaled you having a relationship with God. In fact, I, I read this past week an ancient rabbinic source uh, that said that if a baby dies before it's circumcised, the baby should be circum- still be circumcised even after death. It's like, what? Because the ritual was so important. It meant so much. Um, now, the, the, the reason is, is because this was the symbol of a relationship with God. According um, to, in Genesis 17, that's what God gives Abraham a sign, and he says, this will be the sign of my covenant with you. And so, Paul comes along, and here's what he says, yeah, circumcision, that doesn't really mean anything. And the, the, the Jewish believers that are there are like, what? Doesn't mean anything? It doesn't mean anything, it means everything! And he says, oh, but see, you don't understand. Because... Circumcision, what it really is, what it really means, physically it's the cutting away of the flesh, but the point is, is it's the cutting away of the flesh so that I might be more sensitive to the things of the Spirit. And instead, what, what Paul says is that, but if you think it's about just cutting your flesh because the ritual is all that matters, you've completely missed the point. And sometimes what will happen is in our relationship with God, we'll think about, well, if I just do this ritual and I don't have the heart behind it, then, listen, we've missed it as well. Because God is much more interested in our heart than he is in some ritual. Because if it doesn't come from the heart, then the ritual is completely meaningless. I put a great passage there in Isaiah because I want you to read it later. But I want to read you a passage um, from 1 Samuel 15. Here's what it says. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Here's the point that Paul makes at the end of the chapter. And he says, but the person who's really a Jew, this is verse 29, is the person who's one inwardly. That is, when he talks about being a Jew, he's talking about the person who's in relationship with God. Is a person who is one inwardly, that his circumcision, the cutting away of the flesh, it's something that happens in the heart. It's not the letter, it's in the spirit. And when they do, they will experience the praise of God. What is he saying when he talks about the praise of God? It's, it's when God says, listen, I want you to know that I'm proud of you. It's when Jesus was baptized and the Father thundered from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And sometimes, here's what we do. We'll trade that for a ritual, thinking that a ritual can replace obedience. Listen, lighting a candle cannot replace loving your neighbor. Um, Saying a prayer that you've memorized is easier than pouring your your heart out to God, but it's not the same thing. Saying that you trust God is not the same thing as actually trusting Him. And listen, this is the lesson that we have to learn, and this is part of how God parents us. I had this lesson really driven home in my life in January. Um, some of you are aware, some of you aren't, that in, uh, in January my daughter got very sick. Um, uh, she, um, 
My daughter had a severe allergic reaction to penicillin. My daughter's never been sick, ever. And people are, would freak out, like, how is it that she's never been sick? I mean, she's just never sick. And uh, she, got, uh, she got a cold, she got strep throat, and uh, they gave her an antibiotic. Um, the doctor gave her an antibiotic, and it, it was a, a penicillin-based antibiotic. And um, we didn't know that she was allergic to penicillin. And, um, but it got so bad that they thought she had contracted this, a virus that was called Stephen Johnson syndrome. Now, if you've never heard of it, I can totally understand. I had never heard of it until a few months ago either. Um, Stephen Johnson syndrome is essentially a virus that, like, destroys all the tissue in your body. Uh, it has a 5% survival rate. Um, <clears throat> and um, now, when we took her to the pediatrician... Um, there was two pediatricians there with about somewhere along the lines of like 40 to 50 years of um, medical experience. They both concurred that it was Stephen Johnson syndrome. They sent us immediately to uh, Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital um, for her to start to be under their care. And um, so this was all happening between like Thursday, Friday. And um, all this time, my daughter had um, like rashes and blotches like all over her body. She started swelling up. And uh, she got to the point on, um, on Saturday, uh, on, on, on Friday, that um, she couldn't even hold a crayon because her, her hands were so swollen. She couldn't walk anymore because her feet were so swollen. Um, her face was um, swelling to two to three times the size. Um, in fact, I was picking her up because she had to go to the bathroom, and I, and I took her into the bathroom. There's a big mirror in the hospital. And she looked at me, and she said, Poppy, why do I look so different now? And I'm like, Mama, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I had no idea if it was going to be okay um, because the doctors really weren't saying much to us. And every time we'd ask them questions, they'd say, well, you know, we're just going to see. Because they, if it was Stephen Johnson's, there's really nothing they can do uh, and just kind of see how things play out. And um, so um, <clears throat> um, Saturday, uh, one of the things that they told us was is that if the swelling continued and she started swelling at all in her mouth, they were going to have to intubate her. And what we saw was that before she went to sleep on Saturday, that her tongue started um, swelling a little bit. And we thought that maybe by tomorrow morning that they were going to have to, you know, stick a tube down her throat and all of that. And, um, and um, so Saturday night, Mia fell asleep and, um, and uh, Carrie was asleep with her um, uh, on, the, on the bed. And there's, you know, there's, there's pull-out couches. And I'm sitting on that pull-out couch. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I, I just, I had no, um, I could not sleep at all. And I was just praying, uh, sitting in that chair and just crying out to God, crying out to God, just begging him um, to heal my daughter. And, um, and then I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm praying and I'm just asking him to do that. And, and, um, and I had this moment of like indignation, just if I can be really honest with you. I had this moment that I just thought, like, God, don't you know everything that I've done for you? I mean, I, I've, I've sacrificed so much. I mean, and I went and I got a theology degree, and I, and I went and I, and I started this church, and I could have done a lot of other things, and I've sacrificed so much to do everything that I'm doing for you that you would let this happen to me. And, and I, I look back, and it was such foolishness. And, um, and God and His kindness... And I'm telling you that um, it was not audible, but I'm telling you as sure as I'm standing here that God spoke to me. And he said, um, I know. He said, I know. 
He said, I know. I know what it's like to watch your child suffer. I watched my son suffer when he died. And um, I, I, I knew at that moment, I knew at that very moment that I had a decision to make. And the challenge that was before me. You see, the challenge that was before me was, am I going to follow Jesus because he gives me a lot of really cool stuff? Because if I do the right thing, that God is always going to do what I want him to do. Or, am I going to follow Jesus because he saved me? Because I was on a path that led to destruction. And out of his loving kindness, he found me, he grabbed hold of me, and he changed my life. And that I owe him everything. Everything. And um, that night, shortly after that, I prayed what I think was the most difficult prayer I've ever prayed in my life. And I said, God, um, if you decide to take her, if you decide to take her, I want you to know that I will be absolutely heartbroken. I will be absolutely heartbroken because I love that little girl so much. But here's what I want you to know. No matter what, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. No matter what. Because you saved me. And I owe you everything. And I cannot follow you only when things are good. I have to follow you with every step. Um, Shortly after that, I fell asleep. Um, when, when, we, um, when we got there, one of the things that they told us to do was to get some stuff from the house because uh, we're going to be here for a while. And so they didn't know how long, but they thought, you know, a week, two weeks, who knows how long we're going to be there. Um, within 48 hours of me praying that prayer, my daughter was at home. Um, yeah, yeah. And I tell you all of that to tell you this, not because, not because, um, like, well, if you just pray that, then everything's going to be okay. I'm not saying that. Because one of the things that, that people ask me afterwards and they say, man, what, what happened? What happened? And I say, here's, here's, here's the only thing I can tell you, is that God is parenting me. Um, there's, there's a passage, there's a story in uh, Genesis 22 that God asks Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And, and it says, um, and I never realized this, but it says this, that God tells him this, and then it says this, early in the morning, Abraham went. He didn't delay. He didn't debate. He just obeyed. And as he's about to just sacrifice his son, God says, whoa, whoa, stop. For now I know that your heart is right. And he provides a sacrifice. Um, But the whole thing, the whole idea of this passage is, are you going to worship God only because of what he gives you? Are you going to follow God only because of what he can do for you? Or are you going to follow God because he saved you and because you owe him everything? And you're going to walk with him because, because he's God, because he sent his son to die for you. And he rose again to offer us life and peace and forgiveness and grace. Um, um, 
I never understood that story until that day. And today my daughter is 100% healthy. She's fine. Um, But I do know this. My relationship with God is different because of that. I understand the gospel. And I'm a teacher of the gospel. I understand the gospel better today because of what I've experienced than, than I did previously. And my, my point is this, is that if you follow Jesus, it's not going to be all roses. I can guarantee there's going to be some tough moments. But here's what I can also guarantee. If you don't follow Jesus, there's going to be tough moments too. Um, but why not do life with a heavenly father who wants to parent you and love you and be there for you? Um, and here's what I know. It's Mother's Day, and some of us have, have come out, and it's like, hey, this is the one day a year that we come out. But, but maybe the truth of the matter is, is that you're here because uh, you don't know God. Oh, no, I believe in God. Yeah, maybe you believe in him, but do you believe him? You know he's there, but are you walking with him? Is he parenting you? Because we're all God's creation. All of us are created by God, but not all of us. Are God's children. We have to decide to make God our father if we want to be his child. And we're going we're gonna to close in prayer in just a moment. And maybe you're here and you say, um, I, I haven't experienced that. I hear that Jesus died for me. I hear that Jesus rose again and all that. And I'm not really sure how that connects to me. We've all fallen short of God's standards. All fallen short of his commandments. We've all broken his commandments. And so here's what Jesus did. He died in our place. He did the unthinkable, the unimaginable. So that we could experience life eternally. Through Christ. With God. And if you're here and you say, I want to make that decision this morning. Then we're going to close in prayer and I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not a magic formula, but here's what I'm hoping is that maybe the words will articulate the thing that your heart is feeling. The thing that you want to express to God. So let's pray together. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you want to parent us. You don't just leave us to figure it out, but instead you give us um, instruction. You, 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 you counsel us. You want to walk with us. Lord, for those of us that are here that have never made that decision to follow you, today's the day. For those of us that maybe have come to know you, but we're still thinking that we're going to follow you because of the stuff that you give us or because now I know, God, you're a good luck charm. Instead, Lord, today's the day. Today's the day that we really believe the gospel. That you're good, that you're kind, and that you want to walk with us even amidst the worst of circumstances. So listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we're praying together, For those of you that want to pray, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Just pray these words after me and pray it out loud. Just say, dear God, dear God, I open my heart. I open my heart. I invite you in. I invite you in. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus who died for me, who died for me, that I might have life, that I might have life. I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you starting right now, starting right now, forever, forever in Jesus name, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.